Matthew 16, because Matthew 16 and verse 17 and Matthew 18 and verse 17 are the only two uses of Jesus, the only two mentions of the gospel, or or the church, I should say, the word church, in the gospels. So we're going to unpack them one at a time. Let me just read them, and I'm going to read them in their context before we get started. So again, Matthew 16, let me begin in verse 13. Matthew 16, 13 reads, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Flip over just a little bit, and we're going to read Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. That's our second text, and again, they both have the word church in them. The first passage said, Jesus said, I will build my church. Again, here's the second one. 18.15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, here's the second use, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, there's the third time, two passages. Let him be to you a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, notice the commonality of the passages. They both have church, and they both have the formulatic phrase about binding and loosing. Those are common things that go together in both passages. That's definitely worth noting. Again, I say to you, if, you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among you. I, I love listening to testimonies of people who come for baptism at Faith Baptist Church. I love to just actually sit around and hear God's people tell testimonies uh, of how they grew up and how God worked in their life to bring them to salvation and kind of like the progress on the Jesus journey that they're making and the trajectory that he's bringing them to heaven on. It's, it's, it's very inspiring. Um, and what I love to hear as part of that whole Jesus journey is that uh, people grew up in church. You know, not everyone had that privilege. Um, in fact, less and less people have it all the time. But growing up in my day, and back where I came from, I grew up in church. I went to all my, about third grade to high school, college. I went to Calvary Baptist Church in Finley, Ohio. Um, It was a fundamentalist, conservative church, um, even more conservative than we are. 
Um, and I grew up there from a little kid all the way to high school and then college and so forth and so on. Um, and then eventually after I graduated seminary, um, I went back in to become the youth pastor of the church I grew up in. And that doesn't happen very often. Um, and maybe they wished it wouldn't have happened at all. I don't know. But it did for me. And I went back there and I was the youth pastor there for approximately five years. And then I got a call from... Um, Faith Baptist Church one time. I wasn't interested in New Jersey, which was really pretty shallow of me at the time, but I didn't give the call much weight. Uh, six months later, they called me again, and uh, maybe I'd matured a little bit by then. And so I, I, I came here and coming up on 25 years. Um, I grew up at Calvary Baptist Church, but I really grew up in this church. Do you know what I mean by that? I grew up as a person there, as a young person there, but I grew up spiritually here. Now, I was at a church, to give you a little history, I was at a church where I was a youth pastor while I was going through seminary and then when I graduated from seminary. Um, I'm not here to disparage any of those things, but I never had a pastor who invested in me. Um, they liked what I did as a youth pastor, and so no one ever said anything to me. I could do whatever I wanted, when I wanted, and that's kind of crazy, but that was the freedom I had, and pastors never really, we didn't have meetings, staff meetings, we didn't do much, so I basically was 10 years, kind of what I learned and read on my own about ministry. And so when I came to Faith Baptist Church, um, Pastor Martin's had a lot to do with my life every day. And uh, and so, you know, and at first I wasn't used to that, but I can tell you, looking back over those 18 years, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. A lot of concepts, principles that I live by, um, I learned under pastor, and, and not just pastor, but being a part of this church. There are a lot of people here that I can tell you, I've been on every committee in the world with Mike, probably, um, and, and Kevin, and, and there's a bunch of you I've been around for a long time, shared a lot of different experiences with, and I can tell you, all those people have rubbed off on me, challenged me, changed me. Um, I've had the pleasure, believe it or not, of having enough friends who would rebuke me and tell me that was wrong and you should reconsider this. And so I'm thankful for all those people of input. I grew up in that church, but I really grew up in this church. And I can tell you this from firsthand, I know how important church is. Um, I feel the same way about Christian education because I went to public school all the way from kindergarten through ninth grade. My church opened a school. I switched from the public school and went to high school at Christian school. Changed my life. I'm not exaggerating to say that if I didn't have that background, I wouldn't be here. And uh, I'm so thankful. I'm so behind Christian education. So thankful for Faith Christian School. That wasn't a commercial. That's just all background. Um, as you look in America today, in New York City, Washington, and, and I've had the privilege of going to other countries, and I lived in London, so I've been to Europe and other places. You know what used to be true uh, a number of years ago is that a city was built, the church was built first. And, and if you look at it, even in cities today that are big and have grown up with all kinds of skyscrapers, the churches were built in the center, and everything revolved around it. Uh, all the commerce, the book, and, and everything was done around the church. People's lives revolved around the church. And you go, in, you, sometimes you walk in, you walk through these big cities, London, m you know, New York City, other, other places, and you say like, wow, all these modern buildings, and you see this church is 120 years old, and he goes, how, it's right in the middle. He goes, what happened? And you almost want to think that why would they put a church there? Well, that wasn't it. This was the church, and then everything else was put around it. Because it used to be 
It used to be that the church was the center. Now, not only was that true geographically, but it used to be that the church was the center spiritually. Um, Today, the geographical building at times takes more precedent than the spiritual body that the church should be. Um, So that for me is not just a, a, a time for previous nostalgia about what the church used to be or where it used to be. Um, There's a principle there. And let me tell you what it is. What's at the center of your life matters the most. Let me say it again. What is at the center of your life? The church used to be at the center of town. It used to be at the center of people's hearts and lives and families. And let me tell you this. What you make to be the center of your life, whether you're talking a family, a marriage, an individual, a group of people, whatever you make to be the center of your life matters more than anything else. Example. Now this is, you know, some of you youngsters won't get this, but when you're older like me, when we grew up and we had science class, and maybe they still do this, but you guys remember this? We had to make, and I looked up my wife, not a mobile, but a mobile. Remember the mobile, and they had the sun, the moon, you had the styrofoam balls, and you had to go to the craft store, and you had to paint them, and then they strung them up on the mobile, mobile, sorry, and then we hung them from the ceiling, and it was all over the class, and we had all those ones. Remember that? That was my first little solar system introduction back in the day. But in a solar system, you have the, you have the sun and all the planets orbiting around them. You go, okay, well, I do know that. So this isn't science class. I get it. But did you know that not every, the first mobile, mobiles, if they had it, or mobile, I can't even say it, um, they weren't put together that way. Do you know the difference between geocentrism and heliocentrism? Yes. It got Copernicus in a loud trouble. They wanted to kill him because for the longest time, it was said that our solar center had, our, our solar system had at the center of the earth, that our planet was the center and everything orbited around them. And he came up one day from all of his research, he said, oh, no, no, it's not geocentrism, it's heliocentrism, that really it's the sun that's the center of the solar system and all the planets, including the earth, revolve around it. And oh, blasphemy, how can you say that? That's terrible. People didn't like to be dislodged from the center. They wanted us, the earth, to be the center of everything. And the fact that we weren't, and we were just another one of the planets revolving around the sun, and that was the center, was really hard to swallow. Got them in a lot of trouble. But we have the mobiles that we have today hanging in the science. Why? Because that's the truth. And why did they all eventually come to that truth? Because you have to have enough gravitational pull and power to be able to keep other things in strength. And the earth doesn't have enough. Only the sun is big enough and strong enough and with this gravitational pull. Ray, you're looking at me. I hope you're, I'm right about this. If not, correct me later. All right. Um, but the, the, it has to be the sun because the sun is the only thing that can keep all the planets in their proper orbit. The earth can't do that. Um, so again, it matters, isn't it? it in, in fact, it, I, I've read and been told, and it's obvious, that if the sun wasn't the center and the earth was of our solar system like people thought, our solar system wouldn't exist anymore because all the planets would just go, Fing! and they'd all be dead and everybody else would it, right? Because that center can't handle that responsibility. You see where I'm driving? See, it matters in our solar system, and it matters in the solar system of your soul. It matters what you have at the center. See, a lot of people will put the wrong things 
at the center of the soul system of their soul, thinking that they can keep their lives in order and everything in their lives can orbit around that center. And that center is strong enough and big enough to hold it, but they don't realize that it's not the sun and they put the other planets where the sun belongs and it doesn't work. And, and, and people do that all the time. And all kinds of, there are so many, can I say, false geocentrism spiritually going on, offering alternative centers for your life. And they're all around us in 2021. Let me just peruse them real quickly and then we're going to get these scriptures. You can pick to be the center of your, the solar system of your soul. See, a lot of people in our day are choosing politics. You know, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, or I'm an Independent, or I'm this or that. And they want to say, I follow this person. And if you put, let me tell you this, be blunt, if you put politics at the center of your soul, you are in for big trouble. I'd like to say more, and I'm going to say more down the road, but let me tell you this, politics can't keep your life and everything in it in its proper order, orbit. Can I tell you this? Nationalism. I think it is fantastic to live in America for all its faults and problems and sins. To me, it is still the greatest nation on the planet. And I'm thankful to live in here. But can I tell you this? I don't pledge my allegiance to America equal to or more than God. Right? So it's good to be happy to live in America. I love the freedoms. I'm going to use them as full as I can until I lose them for the sake of the gospel. But I do not put being American over being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the moment that you do, that we are headed for big trouble. Here's, a, here's, a, here's one. I know this is going to be sensitive. Ready? You can't have your ethnicity be at the center of the solar system of your soul. You know, I'm white and we have black and we have Hispanic and we have Indian and we have Asian and we have people from 20 different plus nations. And can I tell you, I love the fact that I'm Scottish. I always joke around and say, if you're not Scott, you're not a lot. And, and it, which is, which not even, almost not even funny, but, um, but I like it. I don't wear kilts and none of that. My wife says, I have a lot of wind. I should take up bagpipes, but I haven't yet, right? But listen, I'm glad to be Scottish. I've been to Scotland. I like it. I like the food. I like a lot about it. And I'm grateful to be it. And you, whatever your ethnicity, your background, your racial background, let me tell you, it's good to love it. It's good to enjoy it. It's good to explore it. It's good to enjoy it. But it is not your identity. Jesus is your identity. He's the center of your life, no matter what color you are, because when it comes down to it, this may be trite, but there's one race, and it's the human race. And he has made us all for one purpose, and that should be the center. Your career can't be the center. Making money can't be the center. I love my wife. I love my kids. My kids are here serving tonight downstairs with the teenagers and others. And let me tell you, I love all those things, but they are not the center of my life. Uh, my children are not. My marriage is not. Um, I love sports. I loved it too much. It was idolatrous in my life growing up for the longest time. And I loved it too much. And I tried to make sports the center of my life. And, that, and when that changed, can I tell you, when God broke my arm severely and I couldn't play public school sports, my whole life got turned around. God spoke to me and changed my life um, because I put sports at the center. If you put sports, education, you put something other, good things in and of themselves, you put those things at the center of your life, you're going to be greatly, greatly uh, regretful. Let me say it more succinctly in a positive way. 
If God is your center, then the church should be central. Can I say that to you? Can you get that? I hope it's memorable. If God is your center, if Jesus is your center, then the church should be central. And I thought about a number of words. Uh, primary versus secondary. I thought about essential versus optional. But I like the central one because it puts it in the center. It's not God, but it's his number one means by accomplishing his purposes in this world. Did you know he's invested in that? And that's why I chose the passages in Matthew 16 and 18 because they are Jesus' view on the church that was to be and what it would mean to his followers. And so tonight, here's what I say. In the solar system of your soul, you got to put God in the center of it. So all the planets, your career, your ethnicity, your education, your sports, your family, your marriage, your health, your job, your retirement, whatever, all of those planets can be held in their proper order. In other words, they can be put in the place that magnifies God only when he's at the center. But at any time you put God as an orbiting planet and put one of the planets at the center, it's going to ruin, ultimately ruin your life. And I can tell you as a pastor, I see it way more often than I would like. I counsel it far more often than I have that people think that they can get away with it. And for a while, you can put a planet where the sun belongs spiritually, but it will never work long term. Never. And that's why we're going to emphasize church this year, because we want to make sure that our center is correct. And when we get the center right, It'll be much, much easier to get all the other things orbiting correctly. So our two texts tonight are Jesus' view of the church. There are two things, and we're going to take 15 minutes. That's all we have left. And we're going to look at one side and flip it over and look on the other side. So the two passages, let me break it down for you. Number one, Jesus is going to talk about the church and its problems on the outside. That's the Matthew 16 passage. And then Jesus is going to talk about, in Matthew 18, he's going to talk about Jesus and the church and the problems on the inside. So here's what's going to, you know, and why I put it that way, here's why. Because if you're going to put God at the center and thus make this church central, can I tell you, this is obvious, but people don't get it. It's going to be very difficult to do it and sustain it. To make God the center and the church central is far more difficult than you could ever imagine far more difficult, and that's why it's got problems. It's going to be a problem. There's going to be opposition. It's going to be struggle, and you're going to find that the opposition, sometimes it's from the outside, and sometimes it's from the inside, right? But Jesus says it's the most important thing going on on this planet other than himself. So let me look at him with you. Matthew 16 and verse 13. Now, we're in Caesarea Philippi. Real quick, so much here, I'm going to have to skim. Caesarea Philippi was a Roman. It's, if you have, you got the Dead Sea, Jordan River going straight up. You have the Sea of Galilee off to the right, north, northwest, northeast of that, about 25 miles, Caesarea Philippi. You can go there today. I went there with my wife on our trip, and it was the god Pan that had a worship center there. If they had a, they had a place where there was a gigantic temple of Augustus, and then a, a shrine to Pan, and then over here was another temple to Zeus, and a couple other gods over here. There's a big water thing going down it, and they had, it was a big, huge area. Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea meaning Caesar, Caesarea Philippi was Herod's son who reestablished that as Roman territory and built all this stuff that was there. 
And if you go there, they still have the niches carved in the stones where the god Pan and the idols that they worship were put into there. All that stuff is still there amongst the ruins of that worship place. Jesus takes his disciples there, and in the middle of a very, very, very 21st century, like pagan culture, that's where he speaks these words. He's going to ask them who do they say he is. And some are going to say John the baptizer, some a prophet, some Jeremiah. But he tells them, who, Peter says, I know who you are. You are the Christ. Now listen, you are the king. So they're going to say, here's who Jesus is. In the place where Caesar is king, they're going to say Jesus is king. And can I tell you, that's what you're up against. When God is center and the church is central, you are up against a culture that screams, shouts, and lives everything but that. That they're not saying Jesus is king. Don't make him central. You know who's king? Caesar is king. And the whole empire and the lifestyle that goes with all of that. So you're automatically surrounded when you try to make God the center and the church is central. You're surrounded by a culture that does the opposite of that every single day in every way that you're around them. That's what they are up against. All right? Jesus goes on to say, who do you say that I am? Peter gives the confession. And he says, here, listen, Here's what my church is going to be. Blessed are you, Simon. It's one of Jesus' later beatitudes. Blessed are you. Why? Because what you said about me is not naturally given. or It's supernatural. And he said, in fact, my Father in heaven gave it to you. So here's what the first thing. Write this down. The church's foundation is revelatory. Right? The church's foundation is revelatory. It's based on a confession by Peter given to him by God. So we build our church, right? We build our church. Jesus is the sinner. And what do we know how to live out the sinner? How do we know how to live that? We have his words. We have the Bible. The Bible is key and central to us. And so listen, we, listen I know this is obvious, but we don't get it sometimes. We don't get our cues from culture. We get our cues from Christ. Namely, his word. And can I be more specific? Who he is. Because when we look at the next passage real quickly in chapter 18, you know what this is going to teach us? That if we don't get Jesus' identity right, we won't understand ours. The church is based on the revelation of who Jesus is. And when you get that down, you will make him the center. When you know that he's not just a man or a prophet or John the Baptist, he's God, very God, the son of God. See, when you get that down, he's the center. And so what he's gonna say about his people and what's most important to them because of who he is, he's gonna tell you, you know what it is? It's the church. You know how Jesus is gonna accomplish his purposes in this world? Through his church. And he is so into the church that he says that I will build, listen to this, my church. Let me tell you as a pastor how I hear that. The church of Jesus Christ is not built by missionaries, although we're thankful for them. They, listen, Jesus didn't build his church on pastors, although I'm glad to be one. He didn't build it on laity, people in the pew. He didn't, although it's fantastic that we all get together. You know, you know what his church is built on? Him. Let me tell you this. You know what that means? That means this. Jesus is ultimate in the church. Not me. Not the deacons. Not you either. 
He's ultimate. So when you talk about things in our church you like or don't like and you are tempted to slander or gossip or complain, can I tell you this? Remember this. It isn't built around you and it isn't built for you. It's built for him. It's built on him. And so here's my my conclusion is, if it's his church, we better live his church and do his church his way for his glory because he's at the center. That's what's ultimate. That's how we get the center. That's how we know. Jesus has an unwavering commitment to build his church. How strong is his commitment? Listen to this. The gates of Sheol, Hades. If you go to Caesarea Philippi, in the ruins on the far left side, as you're facing all of that area, there's the temple of Augustus, and the ruins are there. And behind it is this gigantic cave mouth, probably the size of half of our auditorium. Huge, and it goes down, and you can only go so far because you could fall down into it, and they don't know where you'd end up. Now, if you go down in there, you can see they believed, the pagans believed, that that was the gate of Hades. That if you went and dropped off and went down in that whole thing, that was the gate, the opening, the entrance to the dead, the place of the dead. Now, here's what they believed. All the gods in the wintertime wanted to come and how they would escape to other parts that were warmer, which is crazy, but that's what they thought. They used this gigantic cave and used this gate and they would go back and forth to warmer and and different climates and places in the world and they used this cave because they would go through death. Jesus is standing in front of this gigantic hole knowing what everybody believes falsely and here's what he says. I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of death, can't prevail. The word prevail means to overpower, to be stronger than, to defeat someone. He says, you know how powerful the church is? Because it's my church, it's going to win. There is not anything that can beat the church, including, listen, death. Anything in the Bible that has to do with gates, it always means power or authority. Remember when Lot sat in the gate of Sodom? He had authority. He had got to a place and position of authority, which is crazy, right? You remember when Samson went up to the city and took the gates off the city and then walked up the hill with them? You know what he was proving? He didn't kill anybody doing it. You know what he proved? That your city and all of its security and power, it's nothing. I can rip your gates off and take over with power greater than your whole city. That's what he was saying. He was making a statement because that's what gates do. Here's what Jesus is saying. You know about my church? Not even the gates of death. Listen, death itself can't even stop my church. And you know what? He proved it. Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He died, but not even death could defeat the Son of God. And you know what he says? And it won't defeat you and I either. So what do we have to be afraid of? Nothing. Jesus says, I will build my church. Secondly, let's flip it over. Turn over to chapter 18 again. Remember, the church is going to have opposition. To keep God at the center and the church central, you're going to have problems because, right, the opposition is that Hades is after you. Now, before we leave that first passage, I'm going to listen to one more thing. How does he want you to live your life in light of the fact that he is central, he is center and the church is central? Listen to this. He goes on from that time on, look at verse 21, and from that time when he told him about the church, here's what he says. If you want to follow me, take up your cross and die to yourself. So what's the church founded on? The revelation of who Jesus is. It's founded on his conquering death, taking up a cross. But let me tell you this, it's not limited just to him. 
You want to follow him? You know how you keep him as center and the church central? You have to die to yourself and to your sin and take up your cross. That's what's going to take. You have to die to saying, I have to have my way at church. I have to have this. And it has to be my music and my way. And I have to have this. And I have to have this. And you better not say that about And never anything better go wrong. Listen, we've got it wrong. We've got it wrong. Jesus said, here's how you follow me if you're part of my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against you if you follow me and take up your cross. See, that's why he says, Peter, you made this confession. Now the binding and loosing, see, see vertically, you bind something in heaven, it'll be bound, loosed in heaven, loosed here. You have the ability to say, hey, if you know Jesus and make him central and you take up your cross and follow him, here's what the church says, then you can come in and be a member. And God says, I've already confirmed that in heaven. If you bind him in earth and say, hey, you don't really believe the truth about Jesus and you're not living that way. And sometimes because people practice evil to such a degree, they have to be disciplined out of the church. And God says, see, I'm giving you that authority. I'm giving you the keys, he says, of the kingdom. When you have given someone the keys, have you ever read Revelation chapter one and verse 18? Jesus says that I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and I have the keys of hell and death. It's Hades. Jesus says, I, I conquered Hades. I have the keys. And the church is my instrument to give the gospel out. And they allow people in so that they can have life, so to speak. And, and I'm the main function. And he says, listen, build your life on me and my cross death and my resurrection and the defeat of death that I have. And then live your life that way. Just like I did. In chapter 18, he says, let me tell you, it's not just pressure and opposition from the outside. At times, there's going to be strife and conflict on the inside. And he says to them, if you have a brother and he's offended by you or you're offended by him, here's what you do. You go to your brother. And if that doesn't work, then you go to two people. And if that doesn't work, then you go to the whole church. You know why? Because that's who we are. You notice how through these two passages it says, my father, my father in heaven. And then he calls them, if your brother. Is he only talking about your, your physical family? No, because when you're in a church under Jesus' identity, you know what the church is? It is a living family. It is. And he says, let me tell you what the family does. And that's why I did the question tonight. The family don't leave when there's problems or they don't leave when people upset them or do something. You know what they do? Family work it out. We talk it out. We get to come and do, we don't talk about it to others. We talk about it with the person we have the problem and we go to them and we humbly, instead of instigating and, and condemning people and making indictments, we ask questions and say, hey, here's what it looks like and I don't know, I heard this, but will you tell me what the truth is? That we need to start believing the best about one another and not jumping to the wrong conclusions without all the information. We need to start believing the best because 1 Corinthians 13 says that's what love does. That's what family is all about. Believing the best until we know otherwise. Not naively, but right. you know why? Because we're family. And family, work it out. So here's what the church is based on. It's, it's a revelatory gathering of God's called out ones but it's also a relational one. It's revelatory and it's relational. In other words, there's a vertical part. It's so powerful that God's son, Jesus, said death can't even prevail against it because it's his church. There's all the vertical part, but there's also the horizontal part. There's a relationship part. 
And because of who Jesus is and what he's done, listen, we have the power and ability to take up our cross and love other people. And we don't have to be right. And we can listen instead of yell and scream. And we can get love and prayerful and be merciful and patient instead of all the other things that we do at times. Because why? Because that's the church. And when God, through Jesus Christ, is at the center and his bride, the church, is central, that's how we live our lives. That's how we act. And the passage says, again, the binding and the loosing. Uh, at, At the end of the passage, it's again, we have been given authority. Authority that we can conquer death. Listen, and the authority that we can conquer life. We have both. And that's what it means to be the church. That's how the church should act. But that can only happen, only happen when you have God at the center of the solar system of your soul. When you've got that right, you've got the vertical right, you can get the horizontal right. And Jesus can build his church because can I tell you this? He's not building buildings. He's building people. He's building people. And you know what? You know what? Ministry and church is about God and people. Now that shouldn't surprise us because we're the two great commandments. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love others as you love yourself. Someone asked me one time, Pastor Walker, why do I have to come to church? Can't I just be spiritual on my own? I really don't like church. And I said to them, I said, how do you think Jesus feels that? Because you're talking about his wife the bride of Christ. I said, I don't think he would say, you can love me but hate my wife. I don't think it's going to work with him. I said, you know what? Because if you love God, Jesus, and he's central, you're going to love his wife. And it's all going to revolve around those two, isn't it? Because they go together. They're not the same. But they go very inseparably together. And so it should be in your life and mine. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these brief exhortations and expository notes, so to speak, on Jesus' quick view of his church. God, it comes down to what the center will be. For some of us, we need to be honest and say that God and the church has been moved out to the margins. It's been put out to the periphery. It's not what it used to be, not geographically and certainly not spiritually. And we need to come back and say, in 2021, for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to serve his church. Father, I pray you'll help us to have the wisdom and understanding and insight to know how to put those into place in our lives and still have everything else orbiting in our life in their proper place. Give us that grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.